Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, I'm not surprised that Abe and Eva and Angeline aren't here. Yesterday was a special day for them. It was their rededication wedding ceremony because they, not that their first wedding was illegitimate at all, um, legally speaking, and, and in the eyes of God, they're certainly married, but they didn't feel like it was the joy and the specialness that, that a wedding deserves. It was, Eva told me, she was sitting downstairs waiting for it to begin just by herself. And I went down and was talking to her and I said, does this feel quite a bit different than the first time? And she said, yeah, the first time uh, Abe and I were in all black and they it was in the middle of church. They brought us to the front. The preacher talked for a while. We said, I do. And then we left the building married. It wasn't special at all. And so this they had, they were all dressed up. It was decorated. There were speeches. It was... The full thing and uh, both the Abe. The full COVID thing. The full COVID thing, yeah. There was only 10 of us in the building. But uh, Abe and Eva, they were grinning ear to ear the whole time. Um, there were tears. There were really kind words. And we did record it. I think they're going to make available if anybody wants to see. It was, a, it was a lovely day. And because it was a wedding yesterday, I, I wrote a little wedding sermon for that. And... I'm going to be sharing an adapted version of that later for the sermon. So we're not in 2 Samuel. We're we're talking about love. All right. Andrew's on the communion schedule, I think, for the first time ever. Like, he's he's not just filling in. He's in the schedule. He's locked in. So I'll turn it over to Andrew now. June 13th the date. I was struggling with what to do this for a communion message for today. Being June 13th, I immediately thought of Sharon's parents' wedding anniversary, which is today. They were married for 63 years, four and a half months short of 64 years, which is quite a milestone. Sharon and I do miss them. Also on this date, 37 years ago, they had a grandson born, which is our nephew. His parents, which is Sharon's brother Bernie and his wife, named him Andrew after me, which I consider quite an honor. We have not seen Andrew for roughly 26 years. The reason why is Andrew's father and grandfather had a dispute about money. Since the father did not get his way, he basically left refusing to talk to anybody and not allowing his children to communicate with any of us. We have made an effort to contact them with no luck. This crazy dispute has robbed everybody of a relationship with one another. You see these situations like this in other families also. You sometimes also see it in church families where people leave the church for some silly dispute. This is when the devil wins. In the end of our days, all we will have left that means anything to us is not our stuff, but our relationships with our children, grandchildren, family friends, church family, and most of all, our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He forgave us, so we need to also forgive others. 
At this time, I'd like to pray for the ambulance. Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive us where we need forgiveness and help us also give forgiveness and seek forgiveness so we can restore relationships if we need to. And bless the ambulance as we partake. The bread representing his body and the juice representing his blood. I'd also like to read another little thing here. I will admit, I have also had disputes with my parents, but nothing that we couldn't resolve. Last Sunday, Sharon and I checked off quickly after church so we could go visit my father. He is 96 years old. We had not been able to see him since February 2020 due to COVID restrictions. My sister Angela helped arrange a visit, so she was there also, plus her son Daryl and his wife Janine and their sons Blake and Brody. My father had not met Brody yet, who is almost a year old. It was an outdoor visit. My, father, my dad does not say much anymore, but he said to me he felt very blessed sitting there watching and holding his great-grandchildren, watching Blake chasing a wild rabbit while we were sitting there, and also Brody was tapping on the table. So my father started tapping on the table with him, and the two of them were joined tapping on the table because it was making noise. Tin table. The tin table. And Brody realized he was making noise and was enjoying it, so my dad was tapping the table with him. There were four generations of hootlers sitting there. When my sister Andrew brought him back to his room, he also told her he had a very good visit and felt very blessed to see us all. That's it. That's so lovely, Andrew. Thank you for that. And yeah, a portrait of a family apart, which is tra tragic, and a portrait of family together, which is beautiful. And uh, yeah, very well said. And um kind of the main point of my sermon is how we as a church family uh, stick together and through through Jesus' love. So um, you said it better than I did. So thank you for that, Andrew. Well said. Let's talk about love. Yesterday was pretty special performing the wedding renewal for our dear friends Abe and Eva. Uh, I wrote a message for them, and, and rather than write a separate message for today, uh, I, I thought I would be, I thought the message, the core of the message was useful for here. Um, you may think that I just went through and anywhere that it said Abe and Eva, I just crossed it out and put Clyde Christian Bible Church instead, but that would have made for some uncomfortable phrases. So I didn't just do that. I, I did rework it a little bit. Um, but Abe and Eva's theme chapter, um, Abe's sister-in-law, Lisa, read John 15 from a translation that I'd never heard before called the passage, the passion translation. And we focused on John 15, 12 to 13. And again, I was unfamiliar with the translation, but it really was quite beautiful. And it said this. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices their life for their friends. I'll just read that again because it's short and it's beautiful. So this is my command, Jesus says, love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. 
and this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices their life for their friends. It's a great verse for a wedding, but it's also just simply a great verse for Christians in general. You really can't talk about love too much in church, can you? Since we we exist as a community celebrating, loving, worshiping God, and God is love, then it, no matter what's going on in 2 Samuel, it's very okay to take a step aside from that to talk about love. How many of you have read any of C.S. Lewis's books? I've read a few, not very many, but a few. And if you haven't read any, that's totally fine. Um, but he's got a book that really appeals to me because, as you know, I'm an enormous word nerd. And C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, is all about different words for love. It's literally a whole book just about what words mean. Four specific words. So it's very wordy and very nerdy. So it's perfect for me. So let me give you the, the, the brief, super brief version of the four loves. It's based on the fact that the ancient Greeks, whose language makes up the New Testament, had four different words for four different types of love. In English, love means a lot of things. And it covers a lot of things, um, fortunately and unfortunately. We can love a piece of pizza and we can love someone enough that we want to marry them and, and there's all kinds of places in between. So the Greeks had distinctions for those those four types of love. Of these four, um, two of them never appear in the Bible. Only the second and fourth words that I'm going to mention appear in the Bible. The first and third don't. But all four of them are present in a marriage, particularly the marriage that was celebrated yesterday afternoon. And they're also present in a church family. Well, except the third one as you'll see. The first form of love is called storge. Storge is the most common and most comfortable form of love. It's the kind of love that comes naturally. You generally don't need to work at storge. Storge can be found in the parent-child relationship, in a church family, or in a like-minded community like sports fans. Storge makes me think of, uh, well, my family, obviously, just very comfortable with each other. Uh, makes me think of you guys. It also makes me think of growing up in Clyde School, where the same basically 20 people, including a Carbert kid and a Lance kid, all grew up going to school from kindergarten to grade 9 together. And you get really familiar with one another, really comfortable with one another, and you care about one another, even when we pick on each other and whatever. It's that sort of, that, that, Circumstances threw us together and we're just used to one another so we care about one another. That's storge. Married couples experience this kind of love every day as we live our lives together in routine, not needing to constantly consider our love but simply existing in it. Like like a fish doesn't consider the water it's swimming in. Storge doesn't consider the love that's there. It just is there and is felt and is appreciated and is often even taken for granted. Storge speaks to a level of comfort and intimacy with each other that's not present with other people. It's the love that feels at home and is therefore very present in a marriage. It's also very present in a church family. The next form of love is philia, which is friendship love. Philia is when non-family becomes as close as family in strength and duration. It's where the city of Philadelphia gets from. Delphos means city. And philia means, we say brotherly love, but it's more like um, friendship love. It's 
somebody who's not a brother becoming like a brother. And the best example that we've got in the book of Samuel is Jonathan and David, who are not related and are actually, they should be enemies because Jonathan has a claim to the throne and David has a claim to the throne, but instead they're as close as brothers. And that's philia. For the ancient Greeks, philia was the highest form of love. They consider that the most honorable, the most um, perfect form of love. Because philia is freely chosen. Storge, you just kind of happen into it and it just kind of happens. But philia is chosen. Philia is described by C.S. Lewis as the least natural form of love. It serves no biological purpose as the third form of love does. There's, doesn't lead to reproduction. It's not instinctive um, like Storge is. It's not necessarily purposeful. You, you don't need friends in life. You got your family. You got people who care about you. But as you know, because you all have friends who mean a lot to you, philia is a very deep and meaningful and special kind of love, even if it's the least natural. It's just Philia is a bond of compassion and care and constancy that two people create on their own. It's like a miracle every time. Philia is actually present in John 15, 13, which I read earlier. Lay down your life for your friends. That Greek word friends is, uh, I think, phylos, uh, the same root word as philia. And it's not just present in John 15, 13. It's present in our church as well. We happen to be a community. We're here in Clyde. We wanted a church, Clyde Westlock. We wanted a church, so we got together. But we still choose one another. There are other choices for churches. And so the relationships we have with one another are very much philia relationships. It's like a miracle that God brought us together and, and we, we fit so well. So it's a beautiful thing. We chose one another and we formed a strong community together, even in the midst of COVID. We're not family. That would be Storge. But we are definitely family, which is what philia is, not family that becomes just as strong, just as durable as family. So Clyde Christian Bible Church, we very much have philia love, friendship love. But then we get to the third kind of love, the kind of love many of you were waiting to hear about, I'm sure. The forbidden love, the sensual love, the 14a Song of Solomon adult form of love. Yeah, the Greeks knew all about that kind of love, and they called it eros. Eros gets a bad reputation in the church. It's the root word for erotic, which is like a swear word in religious circles. Yes, one major aspect of eros that makes it different from the other three forms of love is the physical intimacy known by husband and wife. And eros does tend to be the most easily distorted form of love, since it's tied so closely to desire. But C.S. Lewis makes a helpful distinction. Eros isn't desire for just any man or woman. Eros is desire for a particular man or woman. Eros is romantic love. It's the word that is, when we say we're falling in love, that's Eros. In both the Hollywood sense and the day-to-day -day normal human sense. That desire, that romance, that sense of falling together, though it gets a bad reputation, it's actually a beautiful and natural gift from our creator. There's nothing shameful about Eros unless it gets twisted and, and vandalized, as it so often does. Children are a, a lovely reward of Eros, 
But it's more than just that. It's about romance, sensuality, enjoyment, intimacy, all of which we were created with and flow from us naturally. So eros is not a dirty word. In its proper context, it's something to be celebrated, even in the church. So those are the first three kinds of love. Storge, familiar love. Philia, friendship love. And eros, romantic love. Each of us experiences and appreciates these types of love differently, and each of us gives and takes these forms of love in different ways as well. But to be human is to know the blessings of all three types of love, and to be human is to be hurt in the absence of all three types of love. We see elements of our Creator in all these forms as well. In Storge, we see His closeness and His familiarity. In Philia, we see His choice to love us. In Eros, even, we see the pursuit that our God has for us. It's not a romantic pursuit, but it's similar to that. In fact, Song of Solomon, which is all about sex and romance, Song of Solomon can be interpreted as God, the lover, pursuing us, his beloved. So in all of those three forms of love, we have glimpses of our creator. God loves us in these ways as well. They're they're all important. But there's another form of love, the most important form of love. It's, it's the word for love used by our master Jesus in John 15, 13. It's the kind of love that is best seen and modeled in the person of Jesus Christ. This fourth form of love was the lowest form of love for the Greeks. It was the most dishonored form of love. It was seen as lowly and beneath them. But in time... This fourth form of love came to be known as Christian love, since our master and his followers took this fourth form of love and forever changed the world with it. This fourth form of love, the greatest of all forms of love, is called, does anybody know? Go ahead and unmute and say it if you know it. Show off your Greek a little bit. Yes, Barb, agape, that's exactly right. Agape is the highest form of love, even though the Greeks considered it the lowest, and you can understand why they would. Agape is not natural or comfortable like storge is. Instead, agape requires a radical transformation of the heart and mind, something only made possible by the work of the Holy Spirit. Agape is not necessarily mutually beneficial like philia is. Philia is two people mutually benefiting one another, But agape often benefits one person at the expense of another. Agape is not desire-based like eros is. Instead, it is service-based. It doesn't seek to receive something, but to give something, sometimes giving everything. Agape is selfless love, the kind of love that leads to humble service and charitable giving and kindness to enemies. It's the kind of love that leads to mercy and forgiveness and compassion. It's it's the kind of love demonstrated by the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son's father, and the widow who gave her last two pennies. More than anything, agape love is the love that leads the king of all creation to take on the frail flesh of humanity and to walk among us, offering grace and care to those who can never repay, people like lepers, blind men, prostitutes, and Roman centurions, It leads him to wash his followers' feet like a servant. And it leads him to subject himself to torture and shame and death and allow his blood to cover the cost of all of our brokenness. That's agape. That's the kind of love that Jesus commands from his followers. 
agape love. Selfless, submissive, servant-hearted, sacrificial love. The word agape is found three times in just the two verses that I read earlier, and I'll read it again in the NIV. My command is this, have agape for each other as I have shown agape to you. Greater agape has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends, which is connected to philia. So Jesus commands his people one thing, and that one thing isn't just love, it's agape love. Agape is at the core of everything Jesus lived and taught and represented. It was dishonored in his day as lowly and beneath people, but Jesus Jesus turned that dishonor on its head, saying that unless you're willing to become lowly, unless you're willing to dishonor yourself, unless you're willing to bring yourself down a few steps to raise other people up, unless you're willing to do that, then you will have no part in glory. Agape love leads to glory. In Jesus' case, agape love led to the name that is above all other names, the name that all creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth will one day bow to, and it all came from agape. But along with all that glory, agape love comes with enormous risk. It is indeed deep, as the Passion Translation of the verse says, that John fifteen twelve talks, talks of a deep love, and I love that they included that word deep. Deep means powerful and immersive and life-changing, like the ocean itself. But the ocean also demands a certain amount of fear. Deep is good, but it can consume you if you aren't careful, just like the ocean. But the beauty of agape is that the more you are consumed by it, the more you're swallowed up by agape, the less you know fear and the more you know freedom. Agape is deep, and it takes a massive amount of trust and humility to step like Peter onto the tumultuous waves of Christ-like love. It doesn't come naturally, and agape can be intimidating to behold. This was almost certainly true when you came to know and follow Jesus. The prospect of diving into that kind of love, the depth of that love, probably brought about some intimidation, some uncertainty, maybe even a little fear. In fact, Jesus orders us. He, he demands that we, as his disciples, count the cost. We need to assess the risk of following him. Because there is enormous risk in, in following that kind of agape love. It demands taking up a cross daily. It demands an enormous amount of sacrifice and humility. So, yes, there is risk to agape. Deep love requires risk. This was true in your in your your relationship with your spouse as well. I remember the fear that I had when I asked Angie if she wanted to date me. Never mind marry me. It's terrifying for her. <laughs> Taking steps towards intimacy, accepting the care of others, those are tremendous risks. A willingness to forgive, a willingness to trust, a willingness to be vulnerable, a willingness to live a life that constantly lays down yourself for the benefit of your partner, or your neighbor. That's a risky proposition. That's what you're signing up for when you come to church, laying it all down for the good of Jesus, the good of your neighbor, the good of your enemy. And you thought church was just a coffee club. Not so much more than that. It's swimming in agape. It's being filled up with agape so that we can pour out agape to others. As I told our lovely Newfelds yesterday, that, that, that laying down of self 
is the call of marriage. That's what marriage is all about. It also happens to be the purpose of Christian communities. Not one person dominant over the others. Not Chris the head ruling over all of his sheep. That is ridiculous and I wouldn't want that. Instead, it's a body of believers fully committed, like a marriage relationship, fully committed to loving others before themselves. It's a people fully united in storge, philia, eros, and agape. And that can only happen when agape rules supreme over the other forms of love. Selfless, Christ-like love must overpower and outlast familiar love, friendship love, and romantic love if a marriage is to last. Heck, it's strong enough to last to, to love enemies, persecutors, and even oppressors. It's strong enough to undo darkness, hate, and evil, even death itself. That's agape. So never mind just a marriage lasting, agape must reign supreme if a church is to survive. When Jesus tells us that the greatest love of all is the love that sacrifices all, that's the definition of agape. And that's what I love seeing in you, my brothers and sisters, in Clyde Christian Bible Church. I see how selflessly you care for each other. We've had tears even in this service because one of our brothers is moving away from us. I see how selflessly you care for each other. I see how you are willing to lay down your lives for each, each other in ways both large and small, making sacrifices to your wallets, your preferences, your egos, in order to edify one another and our neighbors around us. I see how you refuse to dominate or control or overpower each other, but instead choose to empower one another in, in word and in action, in the same way that Jesus shares his power with us, rather than crush us or burden us or, or overwhelm us with his authority, he shares his power, and I see you doing the same, empowering one another. Selflessness, sacrifice, sharing, and submitting. Those are all words I just used in the last paragraph, and they are all markers of the Holy Spirit. They are the markers of agape, and they're the markers of a healthy body of Christ. And in you, Clyde Christian Bible Church, I see these things. I see the work of the Holy Spirit. I see agape. And I certainly see a body of Christ that I'm proud to be a member of, even if I'm just a fingernail or an ear hair or a kidney stone. Whatever it is, I'll take whatever part of the body I can take just to be a part of you. The Sunday after a wedding, especially a recommitment of marriage, is a great time to recommit to the commandment of love that Jesus gives in John 15. The love we seek together in him and share together for him is deep with all the beauty and risk that that word represents. It is sacrificial with all the power and humility that that word represents. And it is agape. As living stones being built into a holy temple, we bear the sacred responsibility to lay ourselves down in love of God, love of each other, love of neighbor, and love of enemy. Sometimes his love is seen in storge, the common, the familiar, the simple. We have that here at Clyde Christian Bible Church. We have storge love. Sometimes his love is seen in philia, non-family becoming as bonded in love as family. And we certainly have that here in Clyde Christian Bible Church. Sometimes his love is seen in eros, romantic love with physical and emotional longings. I'm, I'm not sure we have that here at Clyde Christian Bible Church. But as a community with lots of married people having lots of awesome children being fruitful and multiplying, I'd say there's a little bit of eros to celebrate here as well, I think. 
But no church is a church until it is thriving in the Christ-like love known as agape. Any social club can have philia, storge, I suppose eros, but there's something unique about the church, and it comes down to agape. If any of us wonder what agape looks like, I think turning to Abe and Eva Neufeld is a beautiful example of, of agape, of how they're willing to fight for one another, sacrifice so much for one another, honor and empower one another. It, it, they really are a beautiful portrait of agape, as, as you know. So I want to say thank you, even though Abe and Eva aren't here. Maybe they'll listen to this. And, and I want to thank them as a beautiful example of agape. And I want to thank you, Clyde Christian Bible Church, for loving each other and loving your neighbors in a way that, that lays down your own lives to bless the lives of those around you. That's the call of being a Christian. That's the command Jesus gives to lay down your life for others. It truly is the greatest love of all. Forget what the Greeks say. It's not the lowest form of love. Well, you know what? It, it is the lowest form of love because it, it lowers yourself. But Jesus says, the last shall be first. The least shall be greatest. The servant shall be glorified. Jesus takes that lowliness and, and, and fills it with glory. So if it is the lowest form of love, it's what makes it the greatest and, and most glorious form of love. It's the greatest love of all, to quote our master, who is the very definition of agape. Filled up with his agape love, overflowing with it, spilling it wherever we go. That's the call, that's the command that we're subject to. It's also the privilege that we're subject to. It's the blessing we're subject to. And it's what I see in you, my church family. And so I'd like to close this morning in the same way that I closed my sermon yesterday for Abe and Eva's lovely ceremony. I'm going to pray Paul's prayer from Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, uh, which is a beautiful prayer steeped in agape. Every time you see the word love, or every time you hear the word love in what I'm about to pray, it's the word agape. So let's pray together. For this reason, his call to experience and share agape. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in agape, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how high, how wide, how long, and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you for agape. Thank you for selfless, sacrificial, uh, servant-hearted love that you demonstrated to us in coming and being like us, in serving and loving us, I pray that we would be filled with that example of agape and that we'd bring it out to the world around us. I pray that we would know how high, how high and wide and deep your love is, that we'd be consumed by the depth of your love um, and that we'd be good ambassadors of that love to our friends, our neighbors, and uh, even our enemies. Jesus, thank you for this church family. Thank you for the philia, the storge, uh, but especially the agape that we have together. Um, I see you, Jesus, in my brothers and sisters here, and I'm thankful for that. I'm, th I'm thankful that 
we can be your body together, a body that loves one another with agape love. So we are very thankful. Uh, We are also especially thankful today for Abe and Eva, for the special love that they have, uh, for what role models they are to all of us. Um, And we celebrate their love today as well. Philia, Storge, Eros, and Agape. We pray all these things in your loving name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so that's why we um, sang songs of love. That's why we exist as a church, is for uh, that agape. That's, and it ties in really well with Andrew's message of, of, fam- of the, the tragedy of family being apart. Um, and we, like your, your nephew shares your name, Andrew, we share the name of our master. We are Christians. And it's a tragedy when Christians break apart from the family by no longer being filled with agape. Um, but it's a beautiful thing when, when family is brought together in agape, just like Andrew's dad and, and uh, Andrew himself and Daryl and, and uh, the boys. So that was a beautiful example of that, Andrew. Thank you for sharing that. That's the kind of love that Jesus commands from his followers. Agape love. Selfless, submissive, servant-hearted, sacrificial love. My fingers are fat and I struggle. <laughs> My fingers are fat and I struggle. This life story of Yellow Bossa. 